Listening to the OmniTalk Fast Five, brought to you in partnership with Microsoft, the AM Consumer and Retail Group, Takeoff, and Sezzle. The OmniTalk Fast Five podcast is the podcast that we hope makes you feel a little smarter, but most importantly, a little happier each week, too. Today is August 25th, 2022. I am your host, Ann Mazenga. I'm Chris Walton. And we are here once again to discuss all the top headlines that made waves in the world of omnichannel retailing. Chris. And are you ready for this? Oh, yeah. I'm getting super pumped. Super yeah, pumped. We've, we've got a big week next week. We are headed to Philly. I, I like want to sing a Philly song. Motown, Motown like, Philly Motown back Philly, again. Back yeah, again. that's the one coming into my head right now. Yeah. For sure. You know? I, I love Fresh Prince. We've got West Philadelphia, Born and Raised. Like all these things. Oh, there you go. To that's check a good, out. That's a good drop. Next week, tell the audience a little bit about what they're going to be uh, expecting from us next week from Home Delivery World. Yeah, like I said, I'm super pumped. We're both on stage. I'm I'm doing a session on big and bulky delivery, which I just love saying. That sounds I think perfect that's, for you. I, I think it's my favorite title of all time, <laughs> big and bulky delivery. And news just broke that Instacart's getting into big and bulky delivery this morning. But what's your session on too? So I am doing grocery, the final frontier of, oh. of, of home grocery wow. delivery. So we have a great panel. In. Yeah, we just met yesterday. I'm really excited. We have one of the founders and CEOs of Freshly. We've got Ali Ahmed from Robomart and oh, cool. a company yeah, that's doing tracking um, cash up from, a, I'm forgetting the name of the company, but he does all the, the logistics and tracking around organizing routing for, for delivery. So we've got some fun conversations to have with. Yeah. And it, it should be great. I mean, there's, I think they're thinking there's gonna be 5,000 people there, 300 speakers, 300 exhibitors, give or take. And, you know, honestly, it's one of the best conferences in last mile logistics around both here in the U S and abroad. And, the best part about it is it's actually free to attend. Like you can see all the exhibitors in the expo hall for absolutely nothing. And it's super easy to register. Just go to terrapin.com slash home delivery. Uh, there'll be a link in the show notes as well. And then as well, you get a discount code if you're an Omnitalk follower. Uh, yes. So you get you- VIP registration, Chris. That's right. We've got our own VIP list. And yeah, you can check out oh, LinkedIn too. Chris oh, and my posts have included that. Those I'll links put that in the notes too. So yeah. So so yeah. So you ready to get this show started? Should we read this week's review? We got to get to the review. We didn't have one last week. I want to hear I want to hear Erica Retail Junkies review. I know, which is a great name, by the way. I love oh, that yeah. name. Erica Retail Junkie. Kind of wish I had come up with that myself. But here's what she had to say. Five stars again. I We're just on a five-star string. Let's keep uh, it that way. Let's I know, it. right? Let's hope. Best news, best retail news for retailers, she said. I've been a marketing executive in retail for over 20 years. I'm, as you would expect, cynical, skeptical, and grizzled as a result. I read everything about retail. This does not make me popular at cocktail parties, but pretty smart about retail. And yet, literally every week, I learn something new from you too. I don't always agree, but I always love the perspective. I just sent out your podcast to all the exes at my company. I think she means execs, or at least Anne. I hope she. I does. hope. Yeah. Oh man, Erica, it would be tough to work with all your exes at one company, um, especially if you're as cynical, skeptical, and grizzled as uh, as many of our listeners are. That's right. And she marked it required reading. So yes, Erica, retail junkie. Thank you for that. That's exactly the type of review we love. That makes number seventy nine in terms of our reviews on Apple Podcasts on a road to one hundred. 
So please, if you're listening, leave us a review. Every difference makes a difference. Yes. Even if you're not a review person, that means you, Tammy, who we talked to this week, you said, I love listening, not a reviewer. Just take take a second. Take a second. Tell, tell us. And and you can email us directly too, but take a second and leave a review. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, heart the podcast if you're on Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, follow and subscribe so that we can keep making the best content for all of you listening, we just might read your review aloud. We will. We'll, we'll read your we review. We will read your review for aloud. all the listeners no to hear in. without a question. There's yeah. No, no, it's going to happen. It's going to yes. happen. You just have okay. to wait your turn. Yes, Chris, but let's give them what they want. Let's get to the Fast Five headlines. All right, and Today's Fast Five is brought to you with the help and support of our good friends at Grocery Shop. Are you a retailer or a brand thinking about attending Grocery Shop this year? Well, don't even think about it without using our promo code specifically for OmniTalk. This is well, all about the promo codes for these shows. Yeah. Just go to GrocerShop.com and enter promo code, my favorite promo code of all time, Arbot1950. That's R-B-O-T-1950. If you're a loyal listener to the show, I'm sure you have that emblazoned in your brain and you'll get your special discounted rate. In today's Fast Five, we've got news on Apple wanting to advertise more to you on your iPhone. Walmart buying up a gig labor delivery management platform. Gap creating its own third-party supply chain platform to sell to other retailers. Tesco expanding its checkout-free relationship with Trigo to more stores. But first, we're going to take off with a crazy announcement from Peloton and Amazon this week. And Yes. Okay. I saw this and I immediately sent it to you. I was like, this is in the show without a doubt. Headline number one, according to a Peloton press release yesterday, Peloton will begin selling its products outside of its own direct channel, beginning with none other than Amazon. A new Peloton store now exists on Amazon's website. And the products that are available at launch will include the Peloton bike and guide, apparel, also things like accessories like weights, shoes, and bike mats. As part of the Amazon experience, the Peloton bike will be available with a convenient in-home delivery, and customers will have the option to assemble the bikes themselves or select an add-on expert assembly option available in the majority of the U.S. The in-home delivery and expert assembly are offered at no additional cost to customers. Said Peloton Chief Commercial Officer Kevin Cornell's quote, we want to meet customers where they are, and they are shopping on Amazon. Providing additional opportunities to expose people to Peloton is a clear next step as we continue to generate excitement for our unparalleled connected fitness experience. And quote, Chris, this yes, is, this is also where AM is going to throw their weight in. And oh, we're going to hit me right in the beginning today. All right. I fantastic. mean, this is the this is like one of the best headlines we've had in a long time. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Okay. All right. So. Ooh. It's gone up and down. I'll give you that. It's gone up and down within the last 24 hours. Yeah, the, like, the strategy the height... was super high in the beginning, yes. which I want to definitely talk about. But yes. yes, yes. Okay, so their question for you, Chris. AM wants to know last month, AM CRG managing director Mike Simonchik offered his perspective to Retail Brew, saying that Peloton's quote, focus needs to be more on the user experience, content generation, and retention and growth of subscribers, end quote which is effectively downplaying equipment manufacturing and D2C sales in favor of its core strengths. Chris, do you think this move Oof, smartly yeah. plays into that philosophy or is Peloton making a mistake here by selling through Amazon? This is, oh man, that's a really tough question. Holy crap. And it's a great question too. Yeah. Uh, but to give some, give some readers some insight now the sausage is made too. When we first read this story, the headline said it was coming to Amazon stores which I hate, and I don't know about you, but I hate when people use the Amazon e-commerce site and call it a store. 
Like, I think the right way to say is it's going to be sold on Amazon. So yes. you and I like lost our stuff on this. And I was like, <laughs> that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my entire yeah. life. If they're yeah. putting this in like Amazon fresh stores, but thank God that's not what this is about. It sounds like it's purely an e-commerce play. So to get to the question, you know, in a lot of ways, I, I think it kind of makes sense. Like, you know, selling through Amazon, sure, why not? The brand is strong, which I think is important when you're thinking about selling on Amazon. The brand is strong. It can stand on its own. Amazon, as we've talked about on the show, is the online mall at this point. So it makes sense to be there in a lot of ways. Sure. But the question I come back to, which is kind of inherent to what AM is asking, is like, how does it help? You know, if you're in the market for a Peloton, is this really going to add volume to your business? Because everyone who wanted a Peloton during the pandemic probably got one. But okay. then I was seeing that and I looked at some stats last night, Anne, and yeah. as of June 30th, I thought of last year, which was the height of the pandemic Peloton craze, right? I okay. think you could say that's effectively like, you know, the, the absolute apex. Okay. They had roughly 6 million paying subscribers. To the, to the platform, to the content yep. platform. Okay. Yep. So which when you think about it, the size of US population, 330, 330 million, and that's probably worldwide, that number. I don't know that for sure, but I'm pretty sure it is. It's like total subscribers. Yeah. That's pretty low in comparison. So, so it got me thinking like, okay, this is what I think the strategy is now at this point. Go on Amazon, allow the bikes. They've even said they're going to allow the bikes to be assembled themselves. And then what I think is going to happen next is you're going to price cut this thing to get it okay. into more people, to get it into more mass market adoption, to make it more affordable. Cause it still does price a lot of the market out when you yes. think about it. Yeah. I think that's the strategy they're going for. If that's the strategy you believe in and that's the, how you want to attain growth, then sure. I think it's the right way. Back to AM, I don't think it's what I would do. Yeah. I actually think I would have taken a very different approach. I would, I think I would have gone more all in on apparel as a, a concept versus and physical, possibly physical retail as a concept as a shop in and of itself away from the bike. I would yeah. try to stand up that arm of the business. I've talked about getting the studios through all the countries, like what they do in New York. Why can't mm -hmm. you do that in every city? Why can't you have one of those? Yeah. I think that's a much better way to secure higher margins from your current base. But if you're going for sub subscriber growth, I mean, I don't know that I can argue this. I just don't love it for the brand long-term. I agree with you. I think your point about how they're selling it, like pricing. The first thing that comes to mind just in hearing what you're saying, I guess, is I don't understand why they're going on Amazon to sell this product. I, I'm surprised yeah, I, right. because they already offer like shipping and delivery is already right. part of this. Like that's right. not, you're not leveraging the prime value there. And I think that, you know, you think about the, the amount that Amazon's going to take out of that sale. And if you could pass that, that value on to your consumer, I think you start bringing in a much larger audience and you start to build the moat with the subscription base, like the apparel and all the other things around that bike. If you can knock, you know, what is it going to be? I mean, Amazon can take up to 40% of a sale. So like, if you think about taking that off of the $1,500 for the bike, even if you took $200 off the bike, like that's a significant savings for the end consumer. I actually, Chris, I like the store option. I know you don't like it. I, I pinged Sarah Jacob who, yesterday, who's in charge of the Just Walk Out technology because yeah. she posted about this. And I was like, Sarah, are we going to see any physical store execution? Yeah. Because I think that's more valuable as a Peloton organization than the Amazon partnership online. 
I don't think you need to have a Peloton like salesperson on site. I think just getting the bikes, I've talked about this before in previous episodes, like mm-hmm. getting, I think Target was, uh, or like Dick's Sporting Goods would have been a much better partner than Amazon for an in-store execution. But I think that, you know, it's about getting the bikes in front of people, showing them what the Peloton experience looks like. And I don't think you're doing that as well on Amazon. Second thing here, I think Peloton's causing a threat for themselves by going on Amazon when you start to look at the accessories. So like you purchase the bike once, you're not going to be purchasing that multiple times, but where you're going to get growth is in the accessories. And what you can see, like say the, the $150 Peloton bike shoes, for example, right as an Amazon customer, I have six other options for half price shoes right in front of me. Mm -hmm. And I'm definitely going to go for those instead of spending $150 on Peloton shoes Versus like having a full-on Peloton experience within a store where you've got the shoes right there, you've got the uh, other accessories. So ultimately, the winner here is the Amazon customer because they're going to get all the benefits of those Peloton goods and and much more affordable options right side by side there. I do want to see some sort of physical store execution though for Peloton. Yeah, wow. Uh, we can save that one for another show because we t- and we did talk about that. I hate that idea. Like, I like going on Amazon much more than I like going into Dicks or anything else like that because mm. I think that just immediately cheapens the brand, and then you have to deal with the inventory placement and the potential markdown issues that ensue. So I think this is the smart even like guide but- shop, even a guide shop in a Dicks or yeah. or Target. Well, I don't think a guide shop really gets you anything differently, too. Oh. You know, and it's a very confusing okay. experience. There's a whole host of issues that arise with that. You know, ultimately get back to the same place, which the part I agree with you on is is it seems like they it seems like they effed up their apparel play their apparel and accessories yeah. play it feels like that was something like in the vein of nike that they could have gone after which if i remember i forgot i actually hypothesized that they had the ability to do that like two or three years ago in my yeah. ending year-end piece for forbes and and they didn't do that and now what i worry about and to close it up here and we'll then we'll move on is like i worry that that ship has sailed and now they're going after growth at all costs because of the pressures financially that they're feeling, you know, internally and likely from the street. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's scary to me because, yeah. you know, then you're going to lose the cachet of the brand and somebody else will pop and, and start to encroach on the space and it'll never be the same, but I don't know. All right, let's keep rolling. Headline number two in a headline that we probably should have done last week but are doing it this week instead. Apple wants to serve up more ads in its iPhones. First reported by Bloomberg and later picked up by CNBC, Apple is reportedly planning to expand its advertising business, which already generates about $4 billion annually, according to Bloomberg. Apple reportedly wants to now grow its ad business by double digits with advertising pushes into things like Apple Maps, books, and podcasts. Meanwhile, it is important to note that last year, Apple released an update for iPhones with a pop-up asking users if they wanted to allow apps on their phones to be used for ad targeting. If you didn't know that, you've probably been sleeping or hibernating for the past year. The privacy feature, according to CNBC, called App Tracking Transparency, little ATT, has upended the -the behind-the-scenes mechanics of many mobile ads, especially those that confirm whether a purchase or download was made. And there's lots of layers to this story. I'm curious what you think. I'm not surprised by this at all. I mean, really, I don't don't think anybody should be surprised Mm. by this. I mean, Mm. I think that the canary in the coal mine was, you know, the whole move away from tracking that Apple launched with the update last year. I I think that this should have been on the radars, uh, radar screens of every single company in and around this arena. I think that. Right. What I'd be willing to, and I'd be willing to bet. I mean, Apple has a solid mission here. Like, there's no competition 
they're, you know, iPhone users aren't going to stop using their iPhone because they don't want to be tracked. Like they're not going to, nobody's going to give up their iPhones to prevent this from happening. I think the only That's thing true. I could see doing is like, there could be some regulatory pressure against Apple or like just in general, Apple trying to like be a good steward of saying like, okay, well, we're still going to give you the option for the out to not be tracked or for us to not follow you. But then charging like doing or doing like a freemium sort of version of their apps, like you're, we're seeing Spotify do or something where it's like, okay, yeah. fine, you have to pay. If you want maps and you want apps and you want podcasts without the ads or without us tracking you, you need to pay for that now. It's going to be, you know, another two ninety nine a month, which is a min- nominal fee for the average Apple iPhone user. Um, and then for Apple, like rakes in a, a bunch more money. But I think that's what we're going to see. I, I just... It, I don't know. It was inevitable. What do, you, that, what do you think? That angle's interesting, although I feel like that's still talking out of both sides of your mouth. I mean, I'm I'm really conflicted on this one. Like 100%. Like, I guess the way I think about it, Ann, is if they allow the same privacy controls within their apps that they are putting on everyone else, right. then I think this is a non-story. You know, mm-hmm. if you can say like, hey, I don't want ads served up to me in Apple Maps or when I'm listening to podcasts, then fine. You know, then, then I think the playing field is level, right? For yeah. the most part. There's no way that's going to happen though. No yeah. I, that's the thing. Like, right. You're skeptical, right? Yeah. But, yeah. but then like, I, then I feel like we're in like the, if they, if they don't do that, which I think is the right altruistic thing to do, sure. then I feel like we're in the, we have the makings of like the Microsoft internet explorer kerfuffle with <laughs> antitrust written all over right. it. Because again, I looked up, it's, I looked at stats again yesterday and did you know that Statista estimates that 47% of all U.S. smartphones in the U.S. are an Apple iPhone? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So that means they control the hardware for half the market. And now, I mean, Apple's essentially saying, we control 50% of the market. We're not going to give it access to everyone else for ads, mm-hmm. but we'll advertise that the cows come home yeah. on our own properties. That smells horrible to me. Yeah. What are you going to do? And the other, well, the other part too that I hate about this too is that it's not getting talked about is the short-term, long-term impact is yeah. this is going to be horribly disruptive on all the small direct-to-consumer brands that for, for years have made their lifeblood on selling things on Facebook advertising and other right. you know sources of revenue. And so we're going to see a lot of layoffs from that most likely here in the coming weeks or coming months. And then look back 10 years from now and Apple's just going to be in a situation where they're raking it in at yep. the detriment of many other people losing their jobs. So the rich get richer. And that's what pisses me off the most potentially about this story. But I'm reserving judgment until I see how they actually do this. Yeah. I mean, but we can make a safe bet that they're going to do exactly what we were talking about. You're that sure doing. about it. I don't, I don't know that I'm there yet, actually. Oh, I, don't know. I am. I, I am. I mean, until the, why not? Like, why not make as much money if you're Apple until you can? They don't care about. You so know. the government tells you you can't. Exactly. You still win. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, that's what we've seen. That's been the trend with what we've seen. Yeah, with Facebook. Capitalism. Like, Woo! yeah I know. I know. <laughs> Okay, well, before we get down a very scary, like, Reddit thread about capitalism, let's go to <laughs> number three. Isn't uh, that from, like, Austin Powers? Yay, capitalism. I think it is, yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. Sense, yeah. Okay, headline number three, Walmart has purchased gig labor management platform Delivery Drivers, Inc., or DDI for short. According to Grocery Dive, DDI has supplied human resources, recruiting, insurance, accounting, and payment services to Walmart's Spark program since 2018. Walmart Spark, of course, is the platform that Walmart uses to coordinate gig workers to fulfill orders from both the retailer and their Go Local program, their white label delivery service. The Spark driver platform reaches 84% of U.S. households 
and the retailer plans to continue growing the program. Nav Chada, the vice president of the Spark Driver platform, said in a company post on Wednesday. Chris. Yes. Where are where do you land on this? What do you think of this new uh, acquisition? It's a good question. I mean, I don't have a lot of revolutionary things to say about this. I think it's pretty basic for the most part. I think it looks pretty clear to me that Walmart is trying to stand up its own third-party delivery network. Yeah. I mean, for all intents and purposes, I think this is clear, which makes which makes a lot of sense. Why spend the money on acquiring an Instacart or something in that vein? If the technology is now there for you to build it out yourself confidently. Right. So minimally, you aren't paying the middleman fees by having to work through a third party anymore. You now can control that yourself. So if you got a good valuation on the deal, like that makes sense. So in a way, it kind of feels like a different, potentially smarter version of Ship 2.0 that mm-hmm. Target did when acquiring Ship, but probably at a lower cost too. So yeah, net net, I think the move makes makes sense for Walmart. Will it blow the doors off? I don't know, but you know, I, I like it in principle. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I think that it seems like from what we're reading about DDI that, you know, they have another piece of the puzzle that Walmart was missing. They have the expertise that Walmart needs to make this. Can you continue to make this a more successful arm of their business? I think you're smart in bringing up the Target example. I think also, you know, Target's acquisition of Delive was very similar to this too. Like, how do we take in and build, continue to build around? We have shipped, like, how do we continue to make sure that routing is efficient, that we're optimizing delivery of products and movement of products? I think it's clear, like Walmart is going to try to do whatever they can to build this up. We also saw this week that they're like launching, they're doing the full launch of their canoe electric vehicles. They're trying to make this as viable an offer for Walmart customers, like the end consumers, but then also other retailers that they're working with, with the Go Local program. I'm just trying to figure out, you know, as, as this continues to evolve, Mm-hmm. What other retailers are going to jump on the platform? I mean, they're blowing out stats like crazy of how many, you know, over a million deliveries with Go Local. Right, like, right. how does, you know, once they build up this network, how valuable is that to other their retailer customers to be, to actually make this a profitable arm of their business? But right, which is a great segue actually too, because yes. that was actually a point I thought of in this next story as yes. well. But I think you know, net net, it's kind of a, it's kind of one of those stories that it's like seems important, probably is, and we'll look back on it potentially as being really important, but it's not going to get a lot of fanfare. And that probably means it's a good story to pay attention to in reality. You know, when you look at all the things we cover on a week to week basis. So headline number four, Gap is similarly taking its own page out of American Eagle's frenemy network. Yes. But launching its own supply chain platform for other retailers and brands to use, as you just discussed. According to Chain Storage, Gap is introducing a new offering called GPS Platform Services by Gap Inc. Ah, it brings back the memories and GPS. <laughs> The hosted service will provide supply chain solutions that Gap says meet the needs of direct-to-consumer and business-to-business companies across the supply chain. Specific advertised logistics and fulfillment capabilities include, are you ready, Anne? See how fast I can do this. Scalable, high-volume, automated e-commerce fulfillment. Omnichannel capabilities for B2B wholesale and retail storage distribution. Self-service portals with API integrations to Shopify, Amazon, and other major commerce platforms. And of course, a nationwide distribution network, just to name a few. Mm-hmm. And what do you think on this? Add any light to your last comment? I think it probably does. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think this is interesting. You know, like we saw malls talking about doing this a long time ago, like knowing, okay, we have all of these stores under our roof. How do we get them to start working together? But nobody pulled the trigger on it. So I think it's interesting that like American Eagle, Gap, everybody's like, well, we'll figure this out. We'll figure out how to do this. Because the most important point of this for me is it is not enough to just be a retailer anymore. 
retailers have to figure out how they're going to gain alternate sources of revenue. And this is one way to do that. They're looking at, you know, okay, we're Gap. We have this huge logistics network. We have all these stores. We're in, you know, malls across the country. Like, how do we leverage our assets, which are our stores, which are our fulfillment and logistics capabilities? And I think we'll continue to see more retailers be like, well, we have this going already. How do we make more money off of it? I think we're also seeing companies take this approach when they're looking at technology. Like we've talked to a lot of retailers over the course of the last year, especially looking uh, more specifically at like a build versus buy analysis. Like what are we going to build internally in-house? How can we use that to make our processes more efficient as a retailer? And then can we sell that? Is it something that we can put out to other retailers or that we can create these frenemy networks? And I think the last point where I think we're also seeing this is with retail media networks. Like that's a quick way for retailers to earn another source of revenue outside of, you know, the products that are on their shelves. Like what is the total product offering that you as a retailer can offer? And that's not always those, those, the t-shirt on the, on the shelf at at the gap. It's definitely got to be some other capabilities and leveraging what you have, but Chris, you thought you thought there was some some light to that from the last story. I'd like yeah. to hear what your thoughts. No, I think your I think your points are right. I think the the one wrinkle I would add is I think as much as it's on the revenue side, I would actually argue it's even more so on the cost side of the equation too. There's only so many retailers that have the strength and the national scale to build up something like this. Right. And so that's that's what I think is cool about it is like retailers are creatures of habit. Like. Shekar at American Eagle was like kind of the first ones to be talking about this. I guess Walmart was angling for this too. Yep. And now you've got gap jumping into the fray. So the question for me is like, how many dueling frenemy networks are there going to be over time sure. and who wins that landscape? But the reason I think they're important is actually not the revenue they provide for the frenemy networks, but what they're doing for the underlying cost structure of the businesses they're supporting. Right. Because if e-commerce continues to grow like it has and consumers want to shop that way, business models are going to have to change to adopt to that behavior. And so you have to create frenemies. You have to get scale in your operation. You have to find a way to lower costs. Right. There's no way you're going to go this alone if e-commerce continues to grow and the costs of that business are just so expensive to do the shipping like you're needing to do. Yeah. So I think that's that's another important point here that I would add. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that like alternate side of it where it's like, it's more about the cost. It's not about what I'm saying, what I was saying earlier, like about the revenue that you're bringing in. It's about how do I reduce costs and how do you know, how many people can I bring together and how, I mean, I think that's going to be really interesting to, to watch too over the next few years is like how, who's, who's partnering together? Like what makes sense? How do you not have duplication in those efforts and like, Figuring out how the money kind of disperses or the savings kind of disperse among all of those partners will be, yeah. It's a cool idea because both parties win, right? Like yeah, both, right. You know, and that's the that's the idea of something that is a good idea, really, ultimately. Right. The that's why I think we'll see more of this for sure. Ugh. All right, let's move on to headline number five. So Tesco is launching its second checkout-free Gecko store on the Trigo platform, but this time it comes with a twist. According to the grocer, the new store on Chiswell Street near the Barbican in London, Barbican? Am I saying that right? Sounds good to me. I'm sure the we'll get Barbican? corrected if we did it with all oh, our London somebody, fans out there. Some of our British fans Barbican? correct me. Barbican? It probably sounds better with an English accent. Anyway, okay, they're opening a new store near the Barbican in London. It will also include self-checkouts, which lie in stark contrast to Tesco's first get-go on High Holborn that was completely checkout-free. 
This also means that the Chiswell Street store will be accessed by any shopper. So unlike Tesco High Holborn, which could only be accessed through the mobile app scan when you come in, this store will now allow for any customer to enter the store. Chris, you really fought for this one to be included yeah. this week. Why do you think this story is so significant? Yeah, I did. I did. And I and I get, you know, I get some of the pushback too, because we've talked about Trigo. We've talked about Tesco a lot. We did the Trigo store tour over in Europe. And so, but you know, ultimately I think it's I think it's important for a couple reasons. First, on the tech side, yeah. Tesco is again going with Trigo, which if you follow us closely, is super important in the checkout free provider landscape. Reva, Tesco have all expanded their relationship after their first trial. There aren't many providers of this type of solution that can hang a statement, hang their hat on a statement like that. Yeah. It's few and far between. So I think that's really, really important. You know, and for the most part, they're doing this in a retrofit environment too. They've shown that they have that capability. So, but the most important thing I think about this story is the twist, you know, like you said at the beginning, I thought it was a great way to put it. So kudos to you for that. But like, the hybrid option is becoming more important in my mind. Like I never liked it at the beginning, Yeah. but I think I'm liking it more now because we, we visited the Amazon go Hudson news, news yep. store in the Chicago airport. And it was fascinating to watch people have to deal with understanding how to enter that store. Like yeah. some people were just leaving. Some people were doing it. And one guy commented on the way out. He's like, what's next? A microchip in my butt, you know, like, <laughs> but I know he's going to go back and tell his friends and use it. Right. So it's really difficult for people to understand that. So, and the other part about it to me is if you do a hybrid solution, let's not forget, you still get the full benefits of a computer vision experience, which includes everything from better inventory accuracy, better customer marketing, more flexible price changes as well that respond in the moment, which, and all those things are probably of better benefit to the retailer in the long run than the mm-hmm. actual consumer being able to walk out, check out free. So those that want to use it can use it. Those that can't don't have to. So I'm thinking this is, pr- we're starting to see this probably be the approach that most people are going to take to the adoption of this technology is my hunch. But I don't know, like Aldi Nord will be interesting as a college town. Like mm-hmm. does the demographics play into this too? I have no idea, but I'm starting to lean that way. But what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think we have to give credit to Tesco here because one, they went in on what I I still believe is the right way to do this. I think if you're going to be a retailer investing in this technology, I still feel like as a re- if I was a retailer, I would be going in on full-on autonomous stores. To be right, that's the way to start. You're right. I think great. so. I think that's 100%. great. I even in the airport example, like yes, you have that first time that hurdle to get over, which is going to keep some people out. I mean, we did see people turn away from that, but I think ultimately, like now that they have that first experience mm-hmm. under their belt, once that starts going out to airports yeah. around the world, like it will become more yeah. common for people. So I think for the long term, with the amount of investment that you're going to put into uh, an autonomous store, like I would go fully autonomous. I do think though that Tesco is is correctly doing an A-B test here. I think it's right. important for them to see like what happens when we build it to be fully autonomous, you retrofit it to be fully autonomous, but we also have self-checkout in here for the interim. Like, is that the smart move so that people can still feel like, I okay, I can have it. If I'm not ready yet today, I can still go through and, and still spend at the store. And how does the future rollout for Tesco look? Like, are they going to invest in both self-checkout and, you know, this hybrid approach? 
I also think we saw an interesting case a couple weeks ago at HEB where they're doing smart carts. You know, they they have this yeah. concept where they're rolling smart carts through a computer vision scanner and then they're sending they're sending the receipt after. I think, you know, some of these tactical things or outs for the customer if they're not ready for fully autonomous shopping are are a smart thing for retailers to be testing before they go fully in. I, I still think, though, like what Trigo and Tesco did with the fully autonomous store, that's where I would be focusing most of my efforts here. So still getting all the benefits, like you said, Chris, of of the full computer vision suite of offerings, you know, better inventory visibility, all of those things makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm still putting my, my bets on, on fully autonomous. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. In the long run, that's still where it will go. I love how you said the, the right place to experiment with what went. Right. Because yeah. if you don't do the fully autonomous, you don't know the difference. You don't yes. know when you go that next step. You can always go back. Right. Which is why we've always advocated that. And yeah. And, and also the HB thing is cool. And, and for, I know we have a lot of HB fans out there, too. And we're assuming it's computer vision based. We don't know yes. that for sure. But yeah, if you want to let us know, please do. But I, I, I think of this like I just keep coming back to like Starbucks mobile app in order to pick up. Right. Totally. Like, some people gravitated towards it. It was a small percentage of the people. But then once you do it, you never go back. And right. you're right. Once you do it in the airport, you're never going back. No. Ever in your life. I mean, I've never gone back in general. Like, it's right. so easy. Especially yeah. if you can wave your hand to get in. Totally. Like, and and all the concerns that people have, like, I mean, viable concerns that we heard from people outside of that store. Like, how do I know I don't get charged? Like, how right. do I know? Like, what? I don't have a receipt. How do I know? Right. Like, all these things. Like, once you do that once and you see that it can work, like, that will get you to do it. Like, then you understand the value. It's just going to be getting over that. Which are all the same concerns when you order a freaking cup of coffee. Like, exactly. let's be honest, right? Exactly. Like, you or know. order but, grocery delivery for the first time. Right. Like, all of these things. It's like just doing it once and then you'll never look back. <laughs> like, my favorite Mitch Hedberg line of all time, my favorite Mitch Hedberg joke, I hope my buddy Alvin's listening, is when he's like, I'm at the donut shop and they ask me if I want a receipt. He's like, for what? I'm not going to bring it back. You know, it's a donut. Yeah. Right? Like, right. What are we talking about here? But anyway. All right, let's go to the lightning round. Let's finish out this show. All right, Chris. Ryan Cohen took full advantage of Bed Bath & Beyond's meme stock surge and Ooh. sold all of his shares in the company. If you were Ryan Cohen, what are you doing with all of those giant wads of cash right now? <laughs> this is going to be funny. You have to listen you've had to listen to the show before, but I'm going to get myself some good high-quality wild sage and that's what I'm doing. I hope it's not the wild sage from Bed Bath and Beyond. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> probably not. Probably not. I don't even know if you can find that anymore. All right, and I noticed a trend on social media recently that the youngins are spelling the word fave F A V E mm-hmm. versus F A V. Mm-hmm. Is this something I've always gotten wrong? Some big change I missed, or do the youngins need a talking to? Set me straight on this. What's your take? No, F A V is like fav. Okay, fave is like a new word. It's like you know okay. this is the, like look it up in Urban Dictionary or something. It's like I don't know that it's going to be in your Webster's as like this is a correct word, but I think right. it's like. You know, it's a new part of the vernacular. That so I need to get on this bandwagon. You need to get on the fave bandwagon. All right, the fave bandwagon. All right, I'm on it. All right, Chris, it's back to school shopping time, especially for those of us procrastinator parents who are crossing our fingers and hoping that the delivery times are accurate and we'll get all the school supplies that we ordered yesterday uh, in time for school. I want to know what your most memorable back to school purchase was growing up. Oh, dude, that's so easy. The Trapper Keeper, 1984. (laughs) 
<laughs> but like such a boss bringing that to school. What What's traffic yours, keeper though? did you have? What traffic I don't, keeper? Did you have? I don't remember that. that oh. that's going way back. You don't like you don't no. even remember the theme? It wasn't like no, GI I, Joe or something? I don't think it was. Like, a, I don't think it was a theme. Ninja Turtles. I was, dude, I was. I was. I'm like you know a little bit older than you, so I think it was just like. Baseline garden variety These, trapper just like back the then blue before one. they licensed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, they weren't licensing it yet. Lisa Frank, Lisa Frank, the trapper keeper. It was like I still remember the day I like convinced my mom. It was like twenty five dollars. They were not Lisa inexpensive. Frank? I have no idea. Lisa who that Frank. Is. She's like a designer. It was like mystical. Like she did the stickers, like the sticker machines. Actually, do you remember the sticker machines too, where you would like put quarters in it, like a, a game or a, like yeah, a roller rink yeah, and you'd yeah. stick and like, like get at stickers. At the grocery store, yeah. Lisa Frank designed a lot of those stickers. They were like fanciful, cool, like neon drawings. Okay. For all those Amitok fans out there, if you actually know what Anna's talking about, I want to hear about it Please, on social media. You have to Please tell me because I... if I don't get any chatter on this on social media, then I'm going to assume <laughs> Anna's crazy and she was well, like that's into something obvious. really we know that. weird at that age that we no one that. else was into. Alright, this last question, Anna, is probably one of my favorite all-time lightning round questions. The Wall Street Journal, yes, Anne, the Wall Street Journal reported last week that there is a growing generational divide over the use of the flat top sheet on one's bed. Team Top Sheet argues that it's more hygienic, more proper, just more correct to use one, while Team None responds that it's more efficient to skip it, and if you change your duvet cover regularly, it's just as clean. Where do you come down on this argument and why? Wow, Wall Street Journal. August is upon us, is it not? Slow slow news month. How is that in the Wall Street Journal? I don't know. Okay, so I have to say, we spent a lot of time in Europe this summer, and- I might have converted because they Whoa. only do duvets there and I kind of love it. The only thing that I will say, you have to change your duvet, not just your cover. I think if you're oh, going to really? just go full duvet only and no top sheet, I think you got to replace your duvet a lot more often than mm. than you probably are every seven years for some people. You need to get a new duvet like every couple of years, I think, if you're just going to do the top. Fascinating. You think that the thin layer of a top sheet is enough to protect you from having to do that same thing with the yeah, regular duvet? That's fascinating. For sure. You went a totally different direction than the, on me on this. I thought, because I've, I, I know your, I know your nighttime routine and when we travel, oh, my and you're like, suit. you're like yeah. in like a, like a on full sweatsuit to protect yeah. yourself. So I'm surprised you went this direction. I think that was before I turned 40 also. I think now. Oh. <laughs> Especially when you're thinking about like, okay, if you are like a night sweat sleeper, you've got the top sheet layer like over you, then the duvet doesn't get harmed. But I mean, this is this could be its own podcast evaluating this. So maybe the Wall Street Journal was onto something when they were like, okay, yes, this is a topic of discussion that's worth a, a, hey, a full. Hey, we're talking about it. It's we're great. talking about it. So it's probably ten thousand other people are too. All right, well that wraps us up. Happy birthday today to Blake Lively. Oh, Rachel. Serena. <laughs> right, Rachel Bilson, and the always smoldering Alexander Skarsgård. And remember, if you can only read or listen to one retail blog in the business, make it Omnitalk. Our Fast Five podcast is the quickest, fastest rundown of all the week's top news. And our twice-weekly newsletter tells you the top five things you need to know each day and also features special content exclusive to us and just for you. And we try really hard to make it all fit within the preview pane of your inbox. You can sign up today at www.omnitalk.blog. Thanks, as always, for listening in. Please remember to like and leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on YouTube. Please remember also to use your promo code RBOT1950 to register for Grocery Shop. That's R-B-O-T-1950. And on behalf of Omnitalk Retail, as always, be careful out there.
The Yummy Talk Fast Five is a Microsoft-sponsored podcast. Microsoft Cloud for Retail connects your customers, your people, and your data across the shopper journey, delivering personalized experiences and operational excellence. And is also brought to you in association with the A&M Consumer and Retail Group. The A&M Consumer and Retail Group is a management consulting firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances its clients, people, and communities toward their maximum potential. CRG brings the experience, tools, and operator-like pragmatism to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. And Takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. The key is micro-fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper-local scale. Takeoff also offers a robust software suite so that grocers can seamlessly integrate the robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, visit takeoff.com. And Sezzle. Sezzle is an innovative buy now, pay later solution that allows shoppers to split purchases into four interest-free payments over six weeks. To learn more, visit Sezzle.com. 